You know, missions exist because the world is not as it should be. The world is broken and is filled with lives of people whose lives are broken. But what a joy to see these mothers and this college student who went to this place of darkness and and God providentially led them to this mother that they were able to share the hope of Jesus with and it has transformed her eternity. And now she's a part of the legacy of what God is doing in the world. And, And that happened because people were willing to go. And it also happened because we were willing to give. They were able to go because of the financial gifts we gave last year for the gift for Christ. And and I want to ask you to do two things. Over the next couple of weeks as we begin to prepare for November 22nd, I want to ask you to begin to pray about a financial gift above your tithe that you can give to say to Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me and I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And then we realize not everyone is, is capable of going for whatever reason, But if you are physically able, if you're spiritually able to go, I want to encourage you to go this year. You don't have to figure out right now where to go, but just pray about going and be open to where the Lord might lead you. It it is such a joy to get to be a part of the story of God, the story of God's rescue and redemption. Those of you who've been around here for a while, you know when I talk about the story, I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about what God teaches us about reality. The Bible is divided in four sections, creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. This is the story of the world. It's the story of God's word began in creation when one God made all things in harmony. This was God's design. But because of sin, because of the fall, there's now brokenness in our world. But God didn't abandon us there. Instead, he sent his son. And that's what we celebrated in the Lord's Supper. We celebrated the coming of God in flesh to rescue a people for himself. And one day, this same God is going to return and he's going to restore all things and there will be harmony again. But for now, We are in in this part of the story where the rescue is happening and we have the joy and privilege of joining God in what he is doing in the world. Listen, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is a victory. Our hope is victorious in life because of what Jesus has done. He has, he has provided for our redemption. There's power in his spirit. There is purpose in the Father. And this God, who is three in one, gives us everything that is needed to have hope in all things. And what we see in our text today is what is required in order for us to have hope that is victorious in life. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 John chapter 5. This is the year of hope. We're discovering what hope is. And to do that, we're walking verse by verse through 1 John. We have now come to the final chapter and we're now in verse six. And so Caleb Bonham is gonna come. He's gonna read for us and let's all stand together in honor of God's word as Caleb comes to read for us verses six through 12 of 1 John chapter five. Okay, Caleb, go for it, buddy. This is who who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that 
he has borne concerning his Son, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God had, has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The Word of God. Well done, Caleb. Thank you. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Understand that whatever we believe will determine our hope. Uh, There was a a couple who will go nameless who last week was struggling with the whole daylight savings thing. They couldn't remember how it worked. And so they had several clocks in their home and so they thought, well, we'll set one one hour forward. We'll leave a couple of them alone and then we'll set a a couple of them behind. So the next morning they, they woke up and they thought, that wasn't a good idea because all of their clocks said something different. So here they had three testimonies and none of them were saying the same thing, which left them very hopeless because they didn't know what they were supposed to do. Were they supposed to get up? Were they supposed to sleep in? Were they supposed to panic and get ready for church? They didn't know. And when you don't know what to do, you feel hopeless. And that is so true in life. When you don't know what is true, you can't know what to do. And when you don't know what to do, you feel hopeless. But God has not made us to be hopeless. Instead, God has made us to know what is true. And you got to understand, whatever you believe is true will determine how you feel. And how you feel will determine what you do. So if you do not believe what is true, your feelings will not be right. And because your feelings are not right, your actions won't be right. What we believe is crucial because it determines our emotions, which ultimately determine and influence our actions. So we've got to know what it is that that we accept, what we accept to be be true. We got to know what we believe. And then we got to realize whatever we believe, that is what we are going to live. And so as we look at our text today, as we understand how hope is victorious in life, let's make sure we're accepting the right things, believing the right things, and living for the right things. Take note as we look at this text. Hope is victorious, first of all, in a life when we accept the testimonies about Jesus. Now what we see here in our text are three testimonies. Notice the first two. The first two are the water and the blood. It says, Jesus came by water and blood. Now, there are a lot of different interpretations. And and when you look at all that the commentators and and all that the scholars have to say about what the water means and and what the blood means, uh, what we ultimately see is that they are both speaking to the humanity and the divinity of Jesus revealed in his obedience. The water and blood, no matter what you, what you ultimately decide in your own mind, these, these are, are speaking to symbolically, they ultimately reveal the humanity and divinity of Jesus revealed in his obedience. And so when you, when you look at this water, you, you realize that Jesus lived a holy life as a man and he was completely obedient as God in his baptism. His baptism was a fascinating event. And you can imagine the, the fear of John having God in flesh come to him for baptism. We read about it in Matthew chapter three. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. 
Now, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me and you can feel some of the fear here. He's like, you know, I know you're the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I know that you are God in flesh and you want me to baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. But look what Jesus said. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Look, he said, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Understand, Jesus is God. And as God, he is without sin. And to be without sin is not only to avoid what is wrong, but it is to do what is right. In every way. Not only did Jesus avoid sinning, he did everything that was righteous and right to do. It is fitting to do what is righteous. And it is the right thing to obey God in baptism. It is true for Jesus. It's also true for us. Understand, Jesus' baptism did not make him God. He was already God. He was already holy. What did his baptism do? It alerted, it sounded forth, it proclaimed the reality of who he was. What does our baptism do? Our baptism does not save us. It proclaims what we already are, that we are already the blood-bought children of the Most High King of Heaven, and our old life is dead, and we've been raised to walk in new life in Him. It, It doesn't change who we are. It proclaims who we are, and it is not a step of salvation. It is a step of obedience. Jesus came in water, and He came to do that out of obedience, But his obedience went beyond just water. It also went to blood. He came out of obedience by water and also by blood, as we see explained in Philippians chapter two, verse eight. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's what we celebrated in the Lord's Supper just a few moments ago. We celebrated the cross. We celebrated the coming of God in flesh to die for the sins of all who would believe. And and how is it we are saved? We are saved by the blood of the lamb. We are saved by the atoning sacrifice of God in flesh as he shed his blood to pay for our sin. Because Hebrews 9.22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The wages of sin is death. But God has come and given this gift of life through his own death. And so we have these two, the water and the spirit that testify, I'm sorry, the water and the blood that testify, but also note the spirit. The spirit also testifies as Jesus as well, just as Jesus said the spirit would. We read about this in John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And he had already done that at his baptism. If you will remember, the spirit of God was present for John the Baptist to see, to give testimony to the reality that Jesus was indeed the son of God. And of course, the father spoke up and said as much as well. Jesus promised that after he was raised, that the spirit of God would come and that the spirit would testify about him. The spirit revealed who Jesus was at his baptism. The spirit now reveals to us who Jesus is through his word and through conviction. See, we understand and we believe who Jesus is because of what God's word says. But you can know the facts of the word and still not accept the testimony is true. And there are some who are here today who are doing that very thing. They, they can speak They can speak maybe even profoundly about the truth of what God's word has to say and can possibly interpret it far better than anyone else. But the reality is this, until you come under conviction and repent and believe, these words are mere words. 
They are the words of God, but they mean nothing to you because until the spirit comes in power and convicts you of sin and you repent and believe, you are left dead. And the words are as dead as your own heart because without the the power and the testimony of the spirit at work in you, you have no life. And so what we see here with these three witnesses is something significant. The Old Testament and the New Testament, both of them, they taught, and I give you an example, Deuteronomy 17, 6, Deuteronomy 19, 15, uh, Matthew 18, 16, 2 Corinthians 13, 1. They, they teach that something is a fact when there are three witnesses that agree. So look at verse 8. It says, the spirit of the water, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. These three testify to the reality that Jesus is God. And we are to accept these testimonies. It only makes sense that we would in light of the fact that it is God himself who is giving this testimony. He makes a good argument here in verse nine where he talks about the fact that that we believe the testimony of men. How much more should we not believe the testimony of God? Think about the hundreds of ways every single day you and I accept the testimony of people of men. You know, I did that this weekend. I, I flew out uh, to, to Bismarck, North Dakota to train missionaries and pastors. And, and I got on an airplane and you know what? I didn't interview that pilot. I didn't say, hey, can I, can I get your credentials real quick? Where were you educated? Can I get not only your driver's license? I'd like to see your flight license. And would you mind breathing on me real quick? I want to see what you've been doing today. I didn't do any of that. You know why? I, I believe the testimony of men. I believe by, when I purchased that ticket that the testimony that this was a credible airlines would tell me that I could just trust it, that I could just accept that testimony. But I want to tell you, last night when we were flying into Chicago, I began to really question that decision. Because as we were coming around over the top of Chicago, I could clearly see Northwestern's football field. Because the plane was almost sideways, and as we were looking down, I thought, I'm going to die on a football field. I'm going to die on Northwestern's football field. But my comfort was, it's not Vandy's field. I won't die a loser completely, right? I mean, there's still something there to be said, right? But he straightened it out and we got us home. And in light of that, I was thinking about my sermon today and I was thinking about, I believe the testimony of these people. I I just believe it. And he makes a good argument. God's testimony is greater because he's God, because he's holy. And if we want to have a hope that is victorious in life, we've got to accept the testimonies about Jesus, the water, the blood, and the spirit because they come from the Father. These testimonies are his. And more than that, we've got to do more than just accept the testimonies as true. We've got to believe. Hope is victorious in life. Write it down. When we believe God's good news. When we believe God's good news. And what is God's good news? It's the gospel. And when we believe that gospel, I I don't mean understand it. I mean, believe it. We're changed. And it's amazing what happens to us. I I can remember, and I can still experience this today, the change that happens in me because of the gospel. See, before a person believes the gospel, they can read the Bible and again, can, can ascertain what the information is saying. But once you believe, what you find is that the Bible's reading you. It's amazing how many times I've read this Bible over and over again and how many times 
God speaks to me every single day, as a matter of fact, as I spend time alone with God in his word, how the spirit of God gives me understanding. Why does that happen? Because I'm smart and special. We know both of those things aren't true. But what we do know is that God, God has changed my life because I believe the gospel. And because I believe the gospel, the spirit of God lives in me. And that spirit enables me to understand the word of God. Not only that, it allows me to understand my sin. You know, before I was a believer, I could sin and justify it. I could justify almost anything and sleep at night and get away, and get away with it. You know, as a believer, God does not give us that. God torments us. He constantly reminds us, this is wrong. This is sin. Now, if you want to, you can harden your heart to God. And over time, it will, it will become callous to the things of God. That's for sure. But God's intention is that he revealed to us our sin so that we can be blessed by him. And that only happens when you're a believer. When you believe the gospel, not only can you understand rightly the word of God, you can understand your sin for what it is. And you're convicted of it and you repent of it and and you trust in the power of God to not only save you from it, but to sanctify you from it. And, And then something happens that is just, it's just amazing. And I say that because of how it happened to me. See, before I believed the gospel, I was an angry, mean person. And I'd just soon fight you as look at you. And, and I, would, it's, I would talk so awful and, and, and be so awful. And, and what, what has become amazing to me is how God took somebody as sorry as me and gave me something so, so good and so powerful as God's love. God's love has changed everything for me. It has changed everything. And, and the fruit of that love has created in me something I could have never created in myself. But it only happens when you believe the gospel. You experience what Galatians 5.22 calls the fruit, singular word there, fruit of the spirit, which is love. And then that love produces joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all those other symptoms of the presence of the fruit of the spirit, which is God's love. When you believe the gospel, it changes your your reality, your understanding of yourself and the world and what is happening around you. And here's the deal. Either you believe that or you call God a liar. I mean, this, this text is quite frank, isn't it? God says you're going you're gonna to make him a liar if you don't, if you don't believe this. And, and here's the reality. We all believe something. And we don't like necessarily to say that we're being that frank and being that direct. But the reality is we are. And if this morning you walk away and you say, well, I'm not ready to believe. I'm just going to punt on this one. Here's what you need to understand you're doing. You're choosing not to believe. And you're in essence saying, I'm going to continue to call God a liar. He really, he really doesn't leave another option. It's either believe or call him a liar. I I really appreciate uh, C.S. Lewis's paraphrase that we often use in in talking about Jesus, God's son in particular. Jesus is, is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. So, Either he's a liar because he said he's God and he's not, and so he's lying about it, or he's nuts because he claimed to be God and he's not, or he actually is the Lord God Almighty. And either we believe God or we call him a liar or we call him nuts. But there, there is no in-between, and we don't need to pretend like there is. But for those who will accept the testimonies and, and to believe the gospel of God, 
there is hope there and it's victorious in life and it will change the way you live. So, so write it down. Hope is victorious in life when we live in the life of Jesus. It is a life. It's not a concept. It's not a philosophy. It's not an institution. It's a life. It's a life in a person. Jesus Christ, God who became flesh, defeated sin and death and is alive now to live in and through all who believe. Look what it says in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. Underline that word eternal in your Bible there. I want to speak to that in just a moment. Eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Those who believe are actually given life to live in Christ. I love the way Paul said it. I appreciate his testimony in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I'm dead with my old life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that dies to self, repents of sin, accepts the testimony, believes the gospel of God, that life now lives in Jesus and it looks like the life of Jesus. And you ask and I hope you're thinking, well, what does that look like? Let me give you some words. Let me give you some words of what it looks like to live like Jesus. It is to be obedient. To be obedient even unto death. It is to be on mission Jesus said, the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. It is to be loving. God so loved the world. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It is blessed. That is not that it is always comfortable, but that there is always the seal of God and the constant reminder that he is with us. Jesus knew the Father was with him. And he knew that the Father had called him for a significant purpose. And that is a blessed life. A blessed life is not one of constant comfort and ease. It's a life that knows that it is being lived for the purpose for which God gave it. And, and, and the last thing, it's eternal. Now, I asked you to underline that just a moment ago, and here's why. I want to make sure you understand what this means. Often we think eternal in terms of quantity, and there is certainly that sense in this word, but it's important that everyone understand this. Every person who has ever been conceived lives eternally. Every conceived person in a mother's womb is made in the image of God. Everything that is that person is there in that womb and that person lives forever. There is eternal life. You sitting here, listen, you are going to live forever. Even after you die, you don't cease to exist. Who you are exists forever. When Jesus talks about eternal life, when we read here about this eternal life that we have in Jesus, understand it's not just quantity, it's quality. 
It is eternal quality of life. It is the life that satisfies. It is the life that is sufficient. It is the life that has meaning. It has purpose. It has love. This is life in Christ. And those who live in the life of Jesus have a hope that is victorious. And, and, and we weren't going to do this. And, I'm, and, and we're going to get back to verse 13. So just know I'm sort of cheating, but I'm not because I'm the pastor. I can do this. But... We didn't originally mean to go into verse 13, but we're going to go in verse 13. And we will come back to it next week because I had to show you something. And I want you to write this down. Hope is victorious in life when we know that we know Jesus. I want you to underline another word here in your Bible. Look in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Underline that word know. It's a word oida. It's a completed action. It's past tense. Now, that's not saying that we know everything that we can, but that we know in a completed sense. In other words, we are saying we know it as a fact. It is a resolved issue. Do you know that you know Jesus? There's a reason why I ask. Over the years, I've talked with many people about Jesus And often I will ask them, do you know that you have eternal life? And many times they will say, well, I'd like to think I do. I I wish that I I could know that. Scripture here says that you can know that you know. You say, well, how can I know that I know? You've accepted the testimonies about Jesus. You believe the gospel of God and you live the life of Christ in the world. You're able to know that you know. Let me ask you, do you know that you know? This summer, one of our ministers was talking to a man who'd been attending our church. No assurance of salvation. He wanted to believe, but he couldn't. And I respect his honesty. He was able to say, I've got the information. I just don't know that I know that I believe in Jesus. And he said, how will I know? And he said, you'll know that you know. He said, and when you know that you know, let me know. (laughs) And it was awesome because a few weeks later, he wrote a very simple email. I know that I know. Let me ask you, do you know that you know? Do you accept the testimonies? Do you believe the gospel of God? Do you, are you living the life of Christ? If not, repent and believe. Accept the grace he's given to you. Ask him to forgive you of all your sin and live this life. Do you know that you know? If not, come get on your knees today and, and, and tell God you believe. Some of you, you claim to believe. Do you live it? Does your attitude reflect a life that is living in Christ? Or or have you come to maybe believe something that is affecting your emotions, that's affecting your behavior? Because see, if you think too much of yourself, if you believe you're more important than other people, if you you believe that you can can get away with sin that maybe other people can't, well, that's going to affect the way you feel which will ultimately affect the way you live. So are you living like Jesus? If not, you need to repent. You need to renew your faith. And you need to commit afresh to live this life. And if you are living it, I pray that as I was talking today, that you became concerned about someone that you know that needs to know. Or you are mindful of a miracle that needs to happen 
for life, for life to be blessed. And I want to invite you today to trust God for that miracle and ask him to do it. Ask him because he has the power, he has the love, and he's willing, but he's waiting. He's waiting for you to ask in faith that he might be glorified and you might know that he is God. And I want to invite you to do that now. So let's stand together and pray. Father, I ask right now as we have a moment to respond in faith for any who need to come and get on their knees before you today, some to confess their sin and believe to be saved, to give their life to you that you might give your life to them that they might have life eternal. Some who need to come and say, God, I've gotten out of step with you, but I renew my hope in you. I believe and I'm gonna live like it. And then for some who know of a miracle that needs to happen, God, as they come and ask you in Jesus' name for your glory, I pray that you will answer them because you you are everything. You have everything. There's no limit to you. Everything is small to you. So we can come with confidence and ask you to do this. And so we now, we sing this to you, acknowledging you and those who need, come and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and pray.